The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. An apology to start the show today. Uh, There was no show yesterday for you to listen to, but we did one. Uh, We did a show. We published a show, but for whatever reason, it didn't post. And I didn't see all of your tweets asking where the show was until this morning during the radio show. Uh, I was kind of out of pocket with respect to Twitter last night, and uh, I just didn't see um, those of you that reached out to say, where's the podcast? So we apologize. We have it out now. Yesterday's show is now available, and it's really not that dated. Um, The interview with Ben Standig talks about the whole Deron Payne report that he had yesterday. That's worth the listen. And what's really worth the listen is in the opening segment, I played um, an interview that I actually ran on radio this morning with Thor Nystrom. Thor covers the draft for NBC Sports. Uh, And he had Malik Willis as the number one player on his board. He's the only person that I've talked to or interviewed draft-wise that's had Malik Willis uh, that high. He had him not only as the number one player on the board, um, but go back and listen to what he said about Malik Willis. Uh, And I agree with a lot of what he said. I think he was hyperbolic on a couple of of descriptions, but I think Malik Willis has tremendous upside and ceiling. Like I think there's major boom bust uh, with Malik Willis. Uh, but anyway, uh, apologies for not getting the show out yesterday, but it's still worth listening to in spots. Naki was on with me. We talked about the NBA playoffs and really more about the overall NBA playoffs and the Ben Simmons situation and the Kyrie Irving situation. Um, and it wasn't necessarily game specific. So there. Um, I want to open today's show by just saying this. I want Washington to draft Kyle Hamilton tomorrow night. I think they're going to draft Drake London. Um, they may not have the opportunity opportunity to draft either of those two players. But if they have the option to draft Kyle Hamilton, if he falls to 11, I want the Notre Dame safety. I last night, late last night, I was just watching some, you know, video uh, and more highlights and a couple of the Notre Dame games that are on YouTube. 
Kyle Hamilton is going to be a really good player in the NFL, and he's ready right now. Uh, He will help them significantly from day one. And can he be a star? He absolutely can be a star at the position. You know, I just don't think there's much downside with Hamilton, and there's big, big upside potential with Hamilton. He is rangy. He is long-armed. He, you know, these 40 times that people have bashed him on, he doesn't play slow. He plays extremely fast. He's big as hell. He's 6'4", 220, um, and he can really, really anticipate and play so instinctually. He has great ball skills with the ball in the air. He can cover a slot corner. He can be your cover you know, one or cover three deep safety. He can play in the box as a box safety or as a Buffalo nickel, you know, Landon Collins equivalent from last year. He's got great versatility. He's a very rare combination of, you know, incredible size at that position, 6'4", 220, with really long arms, which, by the way, immediately makes the 40 time less important. When you've got long arms, and by the way, you anticipate and play very instinctually, even if he ran four five nine or four seven, which he ran on his pro day. By the way, four five nine isn't super slow for a safety, um, but I, you know, I hope that scares the first ten teams in front of Washington away from him. I think he's going to be a really good player for a long period of time, and he would fit this team perfectly and he'd be ready to go day one he's also one of those guys that plays very well with everything in front of him he's great at the line of scrimmage um, and he can cover don't get me wrong but in zone coverage uh, he'll be outstanding and Washington played a lot of zone coverage last year watch his tape watch his highlight reel at the very least I mean, this guy has long arms, he moves, he's physical, he's big. I would take Kyle Hamilton at 11 if he's there. I don't think he's going to be there. I'd be surprised if if 10 teams in front of Washington don't see Kyle Hamilton the same way and have him as, when they get to pick, the highest-rated player on their board. But if he's there... I want him to be the pick. I don't think he will be the pick if Drake London is on the board. I think they'll select Drake London if he's on the board at 11. But I think there's a good chance that Drake London isn't there at 11 either. And if neither one of them is there, you have to now wonder with Deron Payne potentially being on the move next year or after next season – Could Jordan Davis, the big defensive tackle out of Georgia, be a possibility for Washington uh, at 11? I think a lot of you would be really upset if they let Tim Settle walk, uh, if they cut Matt Ioannidis, if they couldn't afford to keep Deron Payne or they didn't want to keep Deron Payne, and then they had to take number 11 overall and spend it on a defensive tackle. Jordan Davis is a freak athletically. You know, and a lot of the results from the Georgia defensive players, I think, can be misleading. I was thinking about this as I was watching just Jordan Davis last night, along with like N'Kobe Dean and a couple of uh, of their uh, players. 
it was the best defense we've seen in college football in a long time. Now, there was the one outlier game, which was the SEC title game, uh, where Bryce Young and Jamison Williams in particular lit up Georgia's defense. Uh, that was the only game it happened in. In almost every other game, keep in mind there were you know seven to eight NFL draft choices, probably you know nine to ten NFL draft choices on that defense, fighting for tackles, fighting for numbers. And the other part of it is, in most of their games, these guys were gone in the fourth quarter. They were resting because Georgia was up by so many points. I do like Jordan Davis a lot. And I think Washington should take the best player on the board for them at 11, really regardless of the position, because they need A-plus players on their roster. We talk about that every year. It's not like all of a sudden they have a great roster. Uh, But... For me, it would be Kyle Hamilton if he's there at 11. My guess is for them, it'll be Drake London if he's there at 11. If he's not there and Hamilton's there, I think they would pick Hamilton. If both of them are gone, I have no idea. My preference at that point would be, depending on what they think of Jordan Davis, I'd consider it. I would. I know a lot of you would not. You'd be angry if they went in that direction. Um, But I think they like Alave as maybe number two. I would think about Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson's my favorite receiver in the draft. There is not a lot of difference between the top five, six guys. There isn't. But Garrett Wilson, as as I mentioned probably a month and a half ago, to me he plays like Stephon Diggs. And Stefan Diggs, if I get Stefan Diggs in this draft at number 11, and I really think he is that, then I'd take him. Uh, not in front of Hamilton. Not in front of Hamilton. But in front of any other receiver, I like Garrett Wilson. Um, I wanted to uh, read real quickly um, a couple of, of tweets that came in uh, right after my radio show yesterday, when I uh, read from the Ron Rivera Martin May, or I played the Ron Rivera Martin Mayhew uh, press conference, parts of it, um, and I focused in on the final um, final uh, Ron Rivera sound clip, which. He was talking about quarterbacks. He had been talking about quarterbacks in a previous answer and all of the homework that they had done on the quarterbacks uh, for the draft. Um, And then he said uh, at the very end of the press conference, he was asked about uh, doing all that homework on the quarterbacks in the draft and how that helped him get ready for the draft. And he said this. It does, because you have a frame of reference. You you, you feel pretty good about them. You really do. And and there were several of them that – you know, you like, and, and I, you know, in my mind's eye, I, I have a, I have a guy that I, I would think about, you know, that if we were still in this deposition that I would have most certainly considered early. So to me, that was a big reveal from Ron Rivera. To me, he revealed that there is a quarterback in this draft that they like, that they would draft high if they were still in the position of needing a quarterback. You know, when he says, in my mind's eye, I have a guy that I would think about if we were still in that position, meaning hadn't traded for Carson Wentz, that I would most certainly have considered early. Now, yesterday on the podcast that you probably haven't heard or maybe just heard, I thought it was Malik Willis, and I thought it was the first round, and I thought, wow, they do like somebody. 
So this wasn't about just trading for Carson Wentz because they had evaluated the quarterbacks and said, no, none of them, none of them are worth it. He admitted right there that there was a guy that they liked, that he liked, that they would consider drafting early. So I wanted to read two tweets uh, from Kurt, uh, not Kirk, Kurt. I, Kevin, heard a coach lying, trying to get someone to trade up. I didn't hear that. Where do you see that? He admits, you know, as part of the, uh, as part of that line, he says that if we were still in that position of needing a quarterback. So he says that he's not drafting somebody at 11. He just liked somebody that he would have considered at 11 if they were still in that position of needing a quarterback. So I totally disagree with that premise. I don't think that he was lying or trying to, you know, get somebody like Pittsburgh or New Orleans to trade up because, you know, he wanted them to to believe that he was still interested, you know, in their quarterback. I don't believe that. But this one from Joseph, Joseph tweeted me and said, Sheehan, at this point, he talks in circles so much. I don't know what to believe, but if he did if he did like someone a lot, shame on him for the Wentz trade. That was from Joseph. And that one, I got to say, he does talk in circles a lot. He does kind of ramble a little bit here and there. Uh, there's a lot of revisionist history. There's a lot of discussion about what their plan is, but the plan really isn't that last year, you know, the we're building from the inside out. We're going to get all the offensive, uh, line, defensive line, all the positions filled out and then we'll go get their, then we'll go get the quarterback. And that was right after, you know, they had made an offer for Matt Stafford, you know, this year, Wentz was our guy. You know, no, he wasn't. You made a big offer to Seattle for Russell Wilson. You know, there's a lot of that. I get that, you know, and he, publicly he's not going to come out and say Wentz was option seven for us. He's not going to say that. Uh, and once they failed on Stafford last year, it was time to focus on, all right, well, we, don't, we didn't get the guy, but uh, we've got guys here. I'm not going to tell the, the whole world that we don't like our guys here. We're, we're going to talk about how we're building it from the inside out and that, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Taylor Heineke are going to be great. But anyway, the shame on him for the Wentz trade if they like somebody a lot. Again, I think that there are a couple of possibilities here. Number one, most likely, is if he did like somebody a lot, there was still a chance that that somebody that they liked a lot needed some time. You know, number two, he's talked about how important this upcoming season is, which is one of the reasons they may not be trading Deron Payne. They'll take him for this last year, even if they lose him after next year for a compensatory pick. Uh, but Wentz is a guy that is an upgrade over what they've had here in recent years, and he should make the offense better, even though I don't think he's their long-term answer. I think most of you don't believe he's the long-term answer. So it's possible that they liked somebody a lot and that that person was still going to take too much time to develop for them. And that's why they traded for Wentz. It's also possible that they promised swinging big and they really believe that Wentz is landing big. It's not landing on Russell Wilson, that's for sure. 
Uh, but it's a name that everybody recognizes, that the owner recognizes, that fans recognize, that had an MVP season going five years ago. And they have some belief and certainly some hope that they can be the team that turns them around. So if they liked Malik Willis and they liked him high, if they weren't able to pull off a trade, it may be that they still believe he's a guy that's going to need some time. Now, what broke this morning, and I tweeted this out after my radio show because we talked about it towards the end of the radio show this morning, is this report from Jeremy Fowler this morning. Jeremy Fowler wrote the following uh, in kind of a, uh, a, a notes section of a draft article. He wrote the following. He wrote, Washington hasn't been linked to draft-eligible quarterbacks much since trading for Carson Wentz before free agency. But the word heading into the draft this weekend is the commanders have done a lot of research on Ole Miss quarterback Matt Corral, researching his background from high school to college. Washington could be looking for quarterback help on day two of the draft. He also continued, the Saints and Panthers have also done much homework on Corral. Some coaches were underwhelmed with his presence in team interviews, but many are high on his quick release and natural throwing ability. For me, Matt Corral would be quarterback number two in this draft behind Malik Willis. He's got the most upside after Willis of the quarterbacks in this draft. That's my opinion. What I've said about Matt Corral in the past is that Matt Corral puts himself in harm's way continuously, or he did in college. I, I compared him to Tua Tungavailoa, not in styles of play, but in that they were always described while playing a game as being hobbled. They took big hits after big hits and always came up hurt or hobbling. And I think that's a big concern with Matt Corral. With that said, he does have a quick release. He is mobile. He does have escapability. He does have natural throwing ability. He would be the guy that I would look at as QB number two. Now, what Jeremy Fowler writes, the big takeaway here, if he's accurate, and Jeremy Fowler is a pretty damn good reporter, if he's accurate, is that Washington is still considering one of these highly graded quarterbacks. Not highly graded compared to other drafts. We understand that. But Matt Corral, for many, is QB number two. Worst case, probably QB three behind Pickett. Maybe behind Ritter. But he's considered to be a guy that could go in the first round. I don't see Washington taking him in the first round, certainly not at 11, but if they were to trade back to 20 with Pittsburgh, you know, and Pittsburgh takes Malik Willis, could they take uh, Matt Corral at 20? Or if they parlayed that trade back into another trade back, could they take Matt Corral at the end of the first round? Why are they doing research on Matt Corral? Why does Jeremy Fowler believe that they could be looking for quarterback help on day two? Maybe it's a trade-up into the early portion of the second round on day two to get Matt Corral. It's interesting. It's somewhat, if true, an admission that they're not sold on Carson Wentz beyond this upcoming season, which they shouldn't be. 
All right, up next, Aaron Oster is going to jump on the podcast. Tim Murray is going to jump on the podcast. They live in Las Vegas. Sin City is hosting the NFL draft. We'll find out what the scene's like out there, and we'll talk draft with both of those guys right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Aaron, the producer of this show, and Tim Murray, uh, our good friend, and Aaron also produces Tim's show, are with me right now. They live in Las Vegas. Aaron produces Tim's show, The Nightcap, 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern Time on Vizen. Uh, Tim co-hosts that show with Sean King, the former Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback. Uh, they've been in Vegas now for a year and a half, coming up on two years now, and the NFL draft is there tomorrow night. So I'll start with you, Tim. What's the scene going to be like there uh, tomorrow night for the draft? The scene hasn't really gone nuts yet, but I will say this, that me and Aaron live in Henderson, which is a suburb, and then we go downtown where Circa is located. So I did go downtown last night to drop off a buddy, and I did see the uh, set right there in front of the Bellagio. That thing is ridiculous. It's going to be incredible to see. So uh, the scene to me, as of this point, I haven't really noticed any uptick, but we also don't live down on the strip, so I guess I can't fully uh, give you a, a full glance. Where is it going to be, Aaron? Where is it specifically going to be held? So it's interesting. There there seem to be two separate sets, and we don't 100% know. I'll, I'll tell you this. Back in 2020, when this draft was originally supposed to happen in Vegas, the plan was supposed to be they were going to have these this like pre-show, pre-draft ceremony where all of the people who actually came out to Vegas, all the prospects, like floated across the Bellagio fountain. They would walk down this long red carpet down towards the uh, convention center, like across the strip down towards the convention center, and that's where the stage was going to be. And we're still seeing stages being kind of set up around, so we're not 100% sure, but it does. the, the Bellagio fountains are going to be involved in some way. You know, 
I mean, it's in Vegas. Vegas is now an NFL town. Um, I'll ask both of you. Tim, you can answer first. Is it a Raiders town yet or not? I mean, does it feel like an NFL hometown town or not? A home team town or not? I don't think so. Uh, it's definitely a Knights town. Uh, you can sense still the excitement about the, the Knights. And I think my two cents of it is, Kevin, you know, people didn't have a hockey team. And then they showed up, and they were so starved for a professional franchise that they gravitated towards the Knights. So the Knights are a very, very passionate fan base. And I'm not saying the Raiders don't have their followers. We certainly see the Raiders stuff all around town. But, you know, for example, my wife's cousin and her husband live in Las Vegas and have lived there a whole lot. They're 49er fans, and they're not going to change that because of town. So when the Bears were here... Uh, when a handful of those big fan bases were here, uh, those teams felt like they kind of owned Allegiant Stadium. So, you know, Allegiant Stadium, I think, is always going to be a popular destination for obvious reasons with it being here in Las Vegas. But the Raiders, in my opinion, aren't to the level of the passion that they have for the Knights. Maybe they'll get there and maybe people will start to come on board. But I think the tricky part is the majority of sports fans here in Vegas adopted an NFL team, and I would think a lot of them aren't ready to just give that team up because the new team came to town. Right, I'm wondering... You know, I've noticed that... Yeah, go ahead, Aaron. Say, there, There's a lot of older fans who do who really jumped onto the Raiders quickly, and that's partially because the L.A. Raiders were the closest team for a while there. So it, I've noticed that amongst older fans, there, do, there does seem to be, but no, it's nothing compared to the Golden Knights, and it's still... Not it's an NFL town, but it's not necessarily a Raiders town. Uh, what was it like on game day? Was it more opposing teams, fans that made Vegas a destination to watch their team on the road, or was it mostly Raiders fans in that stadium on Sundays? Uh, depending on which team, you know, if if you guys watched, you know, Week 18, which was Chargers and Raiders, yeah, well. I actually thought that was mostly Raider fans in Atlanta you've talked about I mean that was one of the best games of the year yeah but I would say Chicago and even Washington to an extent um Chicago definitely Chicago was huge Philadelphia was very pro Philly so I think you know you think about it the NFC teams Kevin that come to Vegas I mean this is their only shot for eight years right so they're going to come here in droves and especially like I mean you know where we worked down at the Circa uh, they knew that an October weekend with Chicago fans was going to be huge. Like six, seven, the score came out to Las Vegas to do live shows. It was all Chicago in that stadium. So to answer your question, I would say majority of the games are leaning towards the opponent, but that week 18 game was very pro Raider in Allegiant stadium. Yeah. And that was a hell of a game. Um, do people still care about UNLV basketball out there? Even no. though uh, they're just they're just yeah. not good enough. Yeah, they're getting better. Um, you know, they haven't been to the NCAA tournament since uh, Lon Kruger was there, I believe. So, you know, they've they had a little buzz this year. I was at uh, the game they beat Colorado, uh, and that was you know I was talking to some people. They said that was the best crowd, and that was you know maybe a third full in there. I'll say this: the Mountain West tournament. I had a chance to go to the I think it was the quarterfinal. Yeah. Man, those teams travel. Wyoming travels. San Diego State travels. But I think UNLV, to think back to the Tarkanian years, and even the 07 year when they made it to the Sweet 16, long, long ways to go before we get to even 
sniffing that at Thomas and Mack. All right, let's talk um, a little NFL draft. And I opened the show today with the player that I really would like to see fall to 11. And if he's there, I think he should be Washington's number one player on their board. I don't know that he will be. Um, I actually think they're hoping that Drake London falls to 11. Uh, I think Drake London is their number one receiver on the board. But, um, Tim, this is for you because you're a Notre Dame guy. But I really want them to draft. Kyle Hamilton. I don't think he's going to be there. I think they're too, he's too good for teams to pass on him, regardless of his position, regardless of his 40 time. You watched every single game of his career. Uh, what would a team be getting if they get Kyle Hamilton? Well, I think what you get is just incredible anticipation. I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, the Florida State game to start the season. You know, that was a really fascinating game when you think back now. Because Jermaine Johnson really popped in that game. Notre Dame's offensive line, especially early in the year, was terrible. And Jermaine Johnson, I was like, who the hell is that guy? That guy is really good. But in that game, two picks from Kyle Hamilton and one of the best picks of the year going across the field in the interception. I think this best play of the year, Kevin, and what might uh, be indicative of what type of player you're getting is the play he made against Purdue. So it's fourth and one. And Purdue faked a jet sweep, pitched it out to the running back to try to get a fourth and one. And Kyle Hamilton read it perfectly, split two defenders, and made a tackle for a loss. And that's the type of player I think you're going to get. As, as If you've read anything, like Bruce Feldman has done a really good job talking to different coaches, both college and pro. And it's interesting to hear that these coaches don't love him. You know, they think that he's got some – you know, uh, cover issues. He's, you know, not super fast. I-, I think he's a tremendous player. I think you can't, you know, you look at that size at 6'4". He's so rangy. He's incredibly smart. Um, but to answer your question about will he be there at 11, I think he will, Kevin. If you just do the exercise outside of trade-up, I don't know who's selecting him. And-, and that's the thing. And I know it's not all based on betting markets, and betting markets are not, you know, uh, facts. But let's just state what it is. I mean, his over-unders dropped out of 12 and a half based off of just reports out there. A lot of people, I think Tony Pauline, uh, who's really piped in with the draft, said he ha- could hear Hamilton dropping all the way to 15. Um, I would think 11, 12, 13 kind of is the sweet spot, Kevin, with Washington, Minnesota, and then Houston. But yeah, at 11, I think Washington would uh, absolutely be getting a, an instant impact starter day one in Kyle Hamilton. And I do think he's going to be there on Thursday night. And, and wait, so his over-under right now is 12 and a half? Yeah. It opened at 9 and a half. It's moved to 12 and a half. And, um, you know, that, that was one that me and Tim were on kind of early. We played the over on 9 and a half. And you just look at it. Like, look at the top 10. Outside of maybe Atlanta. Who's taking him? Again, someone could trade up, absolutely. But if there's no trade-ups, I'm not sure who takes him. Outside of Atlanta, just because we have no idea who Atlanta takes him. Um, I think if he's the highest-rated player on a board, I think uh, several teams could take him. Um, I think Seattle's a possibility, but I would say this. There's a real, I think there's a realistic possibility now. If the board, if the draft goes as we kind of suspect, which is a crazy thing to say, but if it goes Trayvon Walker one and it goes Aiden Hutchinson two, and then with all the steam, it seems like Derek Stingley Jr. is going three to Houston, at least as of now, I think Kayvon Thibodeau could drop. 
and Seattle's not passing on Thibodeau at nine. And I think that could have been a landing spot potentially for Kyle Hamilton. Uh, but also remember, they spent a first-round pick on a safety in Jamal Adams. So right. I just don't know if they're going to be racing to take another safety with a first-round pick. And, you know, what you keep hearing is that the position value, you know, the center position, no one values that. The running back position, people don't value that for the first round. And people keep looking at safety and saying, I don't know if that position is worth a top 10 pick. Whether you agree or disagree, that's kind of the word that's been coming out of the NFL. Yeah, I think the issue with that is that they shouldn't view a player like Kyle Hamilton with just um, with just an S next to his name. Uh, he is, you know, he, uh, what like Washington loves to talk about their Buffalo nickel position, the position that Landon Collins played last year. He can play in the box. He can be your deep cover two safety. He can be your deep cover one or cover three safety. He can cover, you know, if you, I've had a lot of draft guys on that say he can cover guys in the slot with his length and with his anticipation. Um, and he's also gr- uh, better, more uh, potentially better in a zone scheme where he's facing uh, the quarterback. So, you know, that could be Seattle. That could be Washington. Um, bottom line is, I think he's a really good player. What about the quarterbacks? Uh, I saw Malik Willis's number uh, on draft position shoot up to 13 and a half uh, recently. Uh, do you think a quarterback's going under 13, before 13, or after 13? Aaron, you go first. You know, it just kind of, to me, it comes down to Carolina right now. And the thing about Carolina is they have the one pick at six, and then they don't have another pick until the fourth round, which puts them in a really, really terrible position because they don't have a quarterback. After last year's debacle with, you know, with Darnold, I don't think they're going to trade for another kind of cast-off just because the visuals of that wouldn't be good. So they're in a tough position. Ideally, if they're for them, they try to trade down, pick up some picks later, and then maybe get their quarterback later in the first round or even in the second round if they can pick up a second-round pick. But if they don't, I think they might be in a position where they have to take a quarterback at six, and that would be the way a quarterback goes in the top ten because even though there, there have been rumors about maybe the Steelers trying to trade up or even the Saints trying to trade up, I don't believe it, and I don't believe it. It certainly wouldn't be into the top ten. So to me, it's all about the uh, Panthers at six as far as whether or not a quarterback goes in the first uh, the top ten. Tim, you, you like your overbet on that? Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I'll be honest. I wouldn't bet it because of the unpredictable nature of teams doing crazy things for quarterbacks. But everything you read right now seems to indicate that that's probably correct. And, you know, number six, as Aaron alluded to, is very fascinating because you have, you have David Tepper, the owner of the Panthers. This is a critical year for Matt Rule. That franchise needs juice. But I don't think Kenny Pickett brings necessary juice. And if you, you know, people basically say he's just another Sam Darnold. You know, is he really an upgrade over their current quarterback situation? They have tons of needs, right? You know, they don't have a second or third, as as Aaron alluded to. So I think they're desperately going to try to trade down. And if they can't, I think they ultimately go tackle there. A lot of people have have linked him to Charles Cross, the tackle out of Mississippi State. Uh, so I, I think that might be the way they have to go. Uh, so, you know, as for where Malik Willis goes, the, 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 the Steelers reportedly really like him. And uh, I don't know if, if that's in their makeup to trade up. And I also have been told that they like Desmond Ritter, too. So if Malik Willis is gone, I think they might be okay standing pat and getting Desmond Ritter at 20. So I think we see a run of these quarterbacks. 
if my guess, you know, the, the I think the number is correct in most sports books. It's three. I wouldn't be surprised if someone like Detroit picked Sam Howell or Matt Corral, whoever they fancy, with the 32nd pick, uh, like we've seen with, you know, Teddy Bridgewater a couple of years ago and, and Teddy, uh, and, uh, Lamar Jackson too is, is the Ravens trading in. But as for, you know, 13 and a half, uh, if forced to play it, I probably would have to stay over because I just don't see the likely landing spot where the board is currently set up at this point in time. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't bet it. Uh, I just think that they're, t- you know, it's the unpredictability of the position, the fact that, you know, more times than not, uh, there seems to be somebody that falls in love with somebody and they make a move up. Um, and Malik Willis does have, I think, boom potential uh, of all the quarterbacks in this draft. I mean, major downside, um, but could be uh, a guy that somebody falls in love with, uh, if, you know, falls in love with. We'll see. The, you know, there was a report this morning, and I talked about it in the open from Jeremy Fowler that Washington's kicking the tires essentially on Matt Corral right now and that a quarterback on day two isn't out of the question for Washington. Well, they're not getting Matt Corral at 47. I don't think they are. Um, Maybe they think he could fall all the way to 47. I like three um, quarterbacks being taken in the first round because I think they're going to, you know, go at the end of the first round where you get that fifth year, you know, as with the first round designation, you get, you know, you get control of the player for five years, especially with this quarter, this group of quarterbacks that appear to need more time to develop. So I think there will be three taken in the first round, but what do you make of Washington and, and quarterback potentially still being in the mix for Rivera, if you believe Jeremy Fowler's report. I don't buy it at 11 whatsoever. Well, no. I mean, you, yeah. don't, you don't trade. And, 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 you know, it was interesting. There was a, a, a sports book in town that, that put up, you know, who will, what position will Washington select first? And this was a couple weeks ago. Odds have probably changed. But the favorite was wide receiver at plus 160. The second favorite was safety at plus 180. And then the third favorite was quarterback. I saw that. Like, There's no way. I saw There's that. There's no way they're picking quarterback at 11. And I know people from afar might think, well, it's Carson Wentz. You don't give up that draft capital to go get a quarterback. I, honestly, I'd be surprised at, you know, in the second round, unless they're just in love with the guy. I mean, that makes sense. But, man, are they going to trade – more draft capital if they have to move up to go get Matt Corral. Gave up two thirds, yeah. and now really a third and a second, right? It's, it's going to be a second next year. It, it would just, to me, I know quarterbacks rule the league, but you know maybe take a flyer because there's a really big drop off after you know Matt Corral, Desmond Ritter, Sam Howell down to Carson Strong, who essentially is a statue. But he's got a huge arm. Big arm. And maybe you bring him in as a developmental guy in the, you know, fourth round if he's available. You know, there was a, a line set here in uh, at Circa on uh, on Carson Strong, and Aaron might know the numbers more offhand, but I think it moved like twenty spots down. So Carson Strong yeah, might like not one, go one to three right now. What is he? So if you can get. Eight. What'd you say, Aaron? One seventeen is the one seventeen is the over under on Carson Strong right now. Gotcha. So that's fourth round. Yeah. So I, I just I as as a I mean I'm not really a Commander fan or anything over the years, but I, I would be I would be frustrated if that's what they went because second round picks need to come in and contribute right, to me. And I guess if you believe that that second round pick can ultimately be the face of your franchise and be and you see some elite talents there at the quarterback position, 
I mean, I guess, but he's not playing this year. So are you really in the position as an organization without a, with, you know, without one of your third round picks and you traded back in the second round, right? So I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch a quarterback in the second round of my opinion. Aaron. Yeah, I'm leaning towards it. If he's there, not moving up, not anything. And by the way, I could absolutely see him being there simply because I do think that you see some quarterbacks at the back of the first round, but just the way the beginning of the second round seems to be stacking up, there will be a number of really good wide receivers there, probably a few good tackles. Uh, the running backs are probably going to be there. I don't necessarily see quarterbacks going off the board at the beginning of the second round. So if you tell me that Corral does fall there, again, if they've done all their diligence, they do think he's a guy, I'm not necessarily against it. Um, again, as long as they think, you know what, he may need a year, but this guy can develop into something, it's not the worst use of a draft pick in the second round. But, as Tim said, you can't trade up, you can't do anything, and it's probably a little less than 53. Right now his over-under is 33 and a half, uh for Corral. So it's slightly unlikely, but I could see him falling. Um, I, th- I think those over-unders on these quarterbacks are insane. I mean, they got it's action, you know, and they're, they can probably split the action and they, they're coming up with a number that thinks that they think will split the action. But I, I think that's, I think those are really difficult prop bets, um, with that particular position, just, um, because uh, Tim, you and I haven't talked about this. I it, I think it's a great debate. I really do. Um, my position is the trade should have nothing to do with how they handle the draft if there's a quarterback that they love. Carson Wentz is, as Football Outsiders described him, a stopgap quarterback. He is a one-year flyer. It's why they haven't restructured his his contract because they're not going to put any pain on the back end of this deal if it doesn't work out after a year. If there is a player that they have fallen in love with but you know and even if they fell in love with him before they made the trade which you would certainly be puzzled by but I think there was some pressure to make a deal and and bring in a quarterback um, but maybe they think you know a Matt Corral or or somebody like that needs a year um, it wouldn't surprise me it wouldn't disappoint me but I, I'd only be um, you know I'd only be happy about it if they really did love of the player. And I think that's the only way they would do it now after after the trade. I think if they really like the player, and Ron Rivera said the other day there is a player, a quarterback that he really likes, and that if they didn't pull off the trade, they would have considered him early. I thought it was Malik Willis. It might be Matt Corral. Who knows? Um, but you got to keep swinging until you land one, and I don't think they did that with Carson Wentz. I really don't. Um uh-huh. I, I agree. I, I agree with that. I mean, I, look, I when the trade went down, I, I was like, man, what, you're trading a third round pick and a future second for a guy that essentially their owner said we don't want, and he's not coming back in the building. Uh, and you gave up third and a you know future second. And they, and they ate the them. whole salary. They ate the whole salary. That's right. that's even worse because it, it, it it caused them to to cut some players and be less active in free agency. So, yes, but if anyway. they do like someone at. Yeah, I, I, you know, my, you know, Sean King, who, you know, sits next to me every night, former Buccaneer, he loves Sam Howell. And I, I kind of come around on that, too, because he had a really good year, his sophomore year, when he had, you know, De'Ami Brown, and he had Javante right. Williams, and he had Michael Carter. Then he loses all those guys. And you know what's interesting about Sam Howell is that 
that dude can run, man. And if you watch, as you said about Notre Dame, like I watched every second of Notre Dame, North Carolina, he was the only thing in that game keeping him in it. He ran for over 100 yards in that game. He's a tough dude. If he were available 47, which I think is unlikely, I think he – I think he'd go sooner. I would, I mean, personally, I would, I would rather go him than Matt Corral. But you know, once again, uh, I'll, I'll trust the decision makers. What's interesting is, you know, the, the running back position right for uh, for Washington is you have a bell cow. I think Kenneth Walker could be the poor man's Jonathan Taylor. I think that dude is I, awesome, I, I, and I, love I think him. if he's love if he's available at forty-seven, Kevin, he comes in instantly. I think he's a a potential rookie of the year. He's a guy that can carry the ball 20, 25 times a game. His catching ability out of the backfield needs some help. But, man, I think that dude is a badass, and he's explosive. He hits a hole, he's gone. And I think Kenneth Walker, whoever gets him in the second round, is getting an instant impact starting running back who's going to be their guy for – the next four or five years. It's inter- it's interesting because they brought in a lot of running backs in cl- for their th- you know among their thirty visits, including Kenneth Walker. I love Walker. I I've had a lot of draft guys you know on the show um, the last couple of weeks. You know, radio in particular. You know, some of the guys that you even told me uh, to put on, and they were all good. And not one of them thinks that Kenneth Walker is the best running back in the draft. I disagree. They all love no. Brees Hall from Iowa State. Brees Hall. I I like I like. Walker and I think Walker's an impact player right away and the game he had against Michigan the best defensive team he faced all year was the second half was incredible um but I I don't think Washington would take a running back um in the second round I've got I've got three quick ones and and I want uh, and then we'll we'll move on because I know you're you're out walking the dog and Aaron's got to run um but uh receiver is definitely on the list for Washington. And I found out, you know, over the weekend, late late last week, that Drake London is the number one receiver on their board. I think they're in love with Drake London. So do you guys like him as your number one? Who's your number one wide receiver? Aaron, you go first. Jamison Williams. Jamison Williams, I think, is the most talented receiver in the draft. I think if it wasn't for his injury concerns, we'd be talking about him as the consensus number one receiver, definitely going first. Obviously, his injury factors in. That being said, I understand why Washington loves Drake London as much as they do. He complements Terry McLaurin very well. He's a very different receiver from Terry McLaurin. And, and he might end up being, you know, his comp is always Mike Evans. And Mike Evans a hell of a receiver there. So while he's not necessarily the most explosive, the tape doesn't jump off as you as much as some of the other ones, including maybe Garrett Wilson, I can absolutely see for Washington specifically why they would have him top of their board. Tim, number one receiver for you in this draft. Mine's Jamison Williams because of the way the NFL is now and the explosiveness and, you know, watching his tape, you know, and in the SEC, the dude was unstoppable. Um, and he's a badass. I mean, he was kicked out of the game and, in the Iron Bowl for targeting as a gunner on the punt team, and he was back out there decapitating dudes in the SEC championship. But, I, you know, the interesting thing, Kevin, is there's been late buzz that at eight, Atlanta might go Drake London. Uh, A handful of people out there that are pretty piped in uh, believe that that could be a a likely landing spot. You know, eight has been a target for a wide receiver forever uh, with Atlanta, uh, they have so many holes, and obviously Calvin Ridley likes parlays, so he's not playing this upcoming season. So they need a wide receiver. Um, 
But I think Drake London could be off the board there. If he passes eight, I think Washington's in a pretty good spot to get uh, Drake London at 11. If these rumors are true about the possibility of Debo Samuel going uh, to going to, to New York for the 10th pick. So I think Drake London, there's like a 50-50 chance that he's available at 11. I love him, man. Uh, it, you know, once again, going back to uh, Notre Dame. Uh, he played against Notre Dame, and he had 16 catches in that game. He didn't score a touchdown, but I think he had 16 catches for 170 yards or something like that. The dude's incredible, always gets open, high points the ball. But my worry is, and this has been the knock on him, is can he separate at the NFL level? He didn't really have a great uh, deal of success separating against Pac-12 competition. Is he going to be able to do that? I also don't have any worries about his injury concerns. I, I, you know, you break your ankle. What are you supposed to do? Or foot? I mean, that, that's a broken bone. It's not a nagging injury. Right. So I don't think injuries is really any concern. I really like him. And at, at 11, if, if Drake London's available, no issues with Washington picking him there. I think he's a he's an impact type of receiver right away. It's funny. I, I like Garrett Wilson uh, for over a month, um, and now I've seen so many people have the same comp. But I, to me, watching him, he's Stefan Diggs. That was one of the worst mm-hmm. non-Washington picks uh, ever back in the 2015 draft when they took Jamison Crowder and Matt Jones and Diggs went in the fifth round. Uh, I was upset about that. I love Wilson. And of the big receivers, I like Drake London, don't get me wrong. But I think Christian Watson is yes. so electric, and I think that yeah. you know I, I've heard about you know it, you know you watch you watch the tape, and it's like you got, you have to recognize who North Dakota State's playing, and but and but the the amount of grass that he gets separation from defenders at that level, and then what he is with the ball in his hands, and by the way, he's six four. Um, I've heard that he's got you know drop problems, but he's a hands catcher. I don't know. I like him a lot, and I see why he's moved up the board. All right, two more, uh, and we're done. Uh, first pick in the draft overall, Hutchinson or Walker or somebody else? I think it's Trayvon Walker. Um, you know, Trent Balky has his fingerprints all over this. Uh, people have talked about his decision in San Francisco to pick Alden Smith. Uh, over the likes of, I think it was J.J. Watt in that draft, uh, his decisions to go with guys like Eric Armstead, uh, DeForest Buckner, you know, these, these toolsy types of guys, these, these home runs. I, 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 we had uh, uh, Nate Tice on our show, and, and I said he had a good way of putting it. He said, Trayvon Walker is, is going for a home run. Aiden Hutchinson's getting you a double. And there's nothing wrong with doubles, but at the number one pick, you want a home run. And when you look at, you know, what he was able to do – uh, you know, at the combine and his measurables. The dude has a 84 and a half inch wingspan. He's a, you know, he's a freak of nature. He runs a four five. Those are the types of guys that you want. And I think at one, that's the way they're going. The odds reflected it. I thought for a moment it might be Iki Aquanu because of reportedly Doug Peterson wanted Iki Aquanu to tackle at NC State. But ultimately, I think it is Trayvon Walker uh, who goes number one. They, there's been steam on that the whole draft process just because of you know, what he is as an athlete. And I think uh, pairing him with Josh Allen on the other side, I think Trayvon Walker, uh, that's where the steam's at now, Kevin. I would say Walker goes one. Aaron? Yeah, I mean, just today we've, you know, over the past couple days, the Walker steam has gotten to to the point where he was a favorite, but he was hovering around minus 180, minus 200. Uh, Today it's jumped up to minus 300. Seems like it's really in control, especially after Cam Robinson <laughs> just uh, signed that extension with Jacksonville. I think that was the one people were hesitating on. 
could Doug Peterson get his way and they could get Ike Aquanu. They just signed Cam Robinson to the big extension, which makes it seem much less likely that it's Aquanu. So it does seem like it's going to be Walker. And, and uh, you know, again, everything Tim said is correct. As far as hitting a double, I always kind of said, not skill set-wise, but what I feel like I'm pro- if I'm projecting out Hutchinson's career, I-, I feel like he might be like a Ryan Kerrigan. You know, he'll be a great player to have on the team. He'll make Pro Bowls, but he won't be that guy you want out of the number one pick overall. And Walker could absolutely bust. Like, we have never had a player go number one with as little college production as Trayvon Walker will have had. So there's absolutely bust potential there. But he also could end up being just an absolute monster and op- absolute all-pro Hall of Fame type player. You know, I was thinking about something, and this is a conversation that I can have with the two of you because you guys watch a lot of college football too. You know, the Georgia defensive players, you know, there's a lot of discussion about, you know, the production isn't there, the stats aren't there. But let's remember, you know, they had so many players fighting for tackles, fighting for sacks, and – Every single game, most of these players were not even playing in the fourth quarter um, because they were up by so many. So their their minutes and their snap counts probably weren't where they would be with some players that probably had more production. Anyway, last one. Who does Washington take at 11 if they stay there? Well, I think, you know, right now, uh, I think that Drake London at least – I, personally, I hope it doesn't happen because I have Garrett Wilson uh, being the first wide receiver selected at plus 150. So pulling from my pockets, I hope that Garrett Wilson does go eight. But it feels like the tea leaves are saying that Drake London could land at Atlanta. If that's the case, I think they go Kyle Hamilton at number 11. I think Derek Stingley's long gone. Um, but my, my gut tells me, Kevin, if it's you know everything that you've reported and other people in town, if it's Drake London and Kyle Hamilton, I think they go Drake London. I just have a sneaky suspicion that Drake London is gone by 11, and I think they go Kyle Hamilton safety at another day. Aaron? Yeah, I, I would go Kyle Hamilton. I think it is Kyle Hamilton, and if you're a gambling type and you have FanDuel, whether you're in Virginia or whether you're over by uh, Maryland Live, you get the commanders to take a safety at plus 650. So I'd go out and make that pick. Uh, wow, plus 650. Uh, I've stopped gambling yeah. for um, since the Final Four. I am in hiatus right now. And what's great about having the two of you on is that every single answer starts with, well, he's plus 220 or the over-under <laughs> is, um, which is, you know, uh, of course, for the three of us, uh, you know, part of our normal uh, discussion. Um, at one Tim Murray, at the A Oster, on Twitter, Aaron produces Tim's show with former Tampa Bay Bucks quarterback Sean King. Uh, it's on uh, Vizen Live, uh, 10 a.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Enjoy tomorrow night. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
Don't forget to rate us and review us on Apple and Spotify in particular. Uh, it's a huge help. Uh, speaking of rating and reviewing us on Apple and Spotify, a four-star rating, we prefer five, but a four-star rating from CZA Port on Apple Podcasts. Um, and he wrote initially... This podcast is not for idiots who follow the ESPN talking heads. Need to have some intelligence. If you do, best sports podcast out there. Well, thank you. That's a very nice um, uh, review. Uh, And maybe it corresponded with five stars, but he amended it after Vinny Serrato came on the show over the weekend. And he wrote in in amending uh, his overall review... He wrote, however, the 424-22, that would be April 24th, 22, Vinny Serrato interview was way below Kevin's usual standards. Vinny had facts wrong throughout the interview about past events, which call into question the truth of all of his answers. Vinny also never offered any worthwhile insight into football or the draft. Kevin needs to hold himself to much higher standards for guests. Hope Vinny is never on the show again. Um, So... Let me just quickly counteract that uh, with this from Joel. Sheehan, I was pleasantly surprised with how engaging Vinny Serrato was and what an outstanding storyteller he was from your show the other day. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Um, This from Scott. Uh, via our email through our uh, website where you can also listen to the show at the thekevinsheehanshow.com. Kevin, the Vinny Serrato interview was phenomenal. The stories about Sean Taylor and Kellen Winslow Jr. and Chris Samuels and Joe Gibbs and Joe Mendes, I had forgotten that name, were incredible. It's clear that Vinny may have had the title, but never had the ultimate decision-making authority. Vinny was great. I enjoyed it. Thanks. So, back to the first note from CZA Port uh, via Apple Podcasts. I'm going to tell you, quite honestly, I enjoyed the discussion with Vinny Serrato. The reaction was three to one positive over negative. And more importantly for me, it was one of the most downloaded shows of the last month. I knew it would be too. I really did. You know, in terms of Vinny, I've told you this before over the years. Sure, we have bashed Vinny on radio and on this podcast. And by the way, he's done the same to me on radio. But Vinny and I always got along personally, uh, even if we were critical of each other professionally. And Vinny was not general manager NFL caliber. I think we all understand that. And it was a disastrous 10 years with Dan. But Dan was calling most of the shots when Vinny was there. And you heard a lot of that from Vinny. You know, the Patrick Ramsey selection. And there were other things along the way. Um, But Vinny, you know, is no less qualified and actually a lot more qualified to talk about a draft than some of the other people we put on the podcast and radio show to talk about the draft. They've never taken uh, any money in terms of salary to do it. Vinny has. Vinny was a longtime scout. You know who really liked Vinny? Mike Shanahan liked Vinny. 
Now, he would have never hired Vinny to be a general manager, but he liked Vinny. Um, you know, but when Bruce came in, Vinny had to go. And there was fan push to get Vinny to go as well. Uh, but uh, I actually enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, he got a little bit mi- mixed up on the dates with Jake Locker. Some of you said I was protecting him. I don't. I, I actually really think that he did scout Jake Locker, but it was in 2009 when he was still employed and he just got the years mixed up. That's what I think. I don't think Dan was turning Vinny loose to scout um, while uh, Mike Shanahan and Bruce Allen uh, were in the building. I don't think that. It's possible, and it's certainly believable, but I don't think that happened. Uh, But uh, I enjoyed the Vinny interview. It did very well from a download standpoint. It was our most downloaded episode so far, uh, after two days anyway, um, of the month. And, you know, we've had a lot lot to talk about over the month. And I knew that would be the case because I remember the last time Vinny was on the podcast, um, it did very well. I think some of you, you know, when you say, well, why do you put Mike Shanahan on the show? Or why do you put this? Well, it's because a lot of the audience likes to listen to those people, whether they enjoy what they're talking about or they dislike what they're talking about. It's kind of like the um, the Howard Stern thing from uh, from his movie. Um, I'm not comparing this to Howard Stern. I'm comparing Howard Stern to the guest, actually, Vinny Serrato, um, in, in just this kind of way. When one of the... Um, uh, when one of their salespeople or one of their executives said, you know, a million people say they listen to him because they love him, and a million and a half people say they listen to him because they hate him. And I think there is always something to that with various guests, you know, certain guests, where people are going to listen no matter what, and people did listen to Vinny. And I hear you, CZA Port, and I loved your first overall review Um, But in the future, if I think people are going to listen to it and maybe get something out of it, because I did with Vinny, I think he tells some good stories, Um, I'm going to continue to put those people on the show. I want to finish up with this real quickly. I want to congratulate Keith Ergo. Uh, Keith is a local. Keith has been a longtime uh, assistant basketball coach at various places like Penn State. According to reports, he's going to be the new head coach at Fordham. University, uh, taking over for Kyle Neptune, who took over for Jay Wright at Villanova. Uh, Keith is part of a, a family here locally, and I know some of the brothers, and Keith has been you know, hammering away at this thing for years. Uh, he's a Gonzaga guy locally. I know a lot of people are really, really excited that Keith Ergo is going to be a head coach, and he's going to be a head coach at Fordham. Congratulations uh, to Keith. Finally, If you haven't seen the John Morant dunk from last night in the third quarter, it's one of the greatest dunks I've ever seen in a game. Uh, And I love watching him play. Uh, I really do. Uh, Big win last night, by the way, for Chris Paul without Devin Booker. You know, if you're one of the top five point guards of all time, which I don't think he is, you can't lose to a team that was 10 games under 500, even without your best player, even if you are an old man at this point. All right, that's it for the show. Back tomorrow with Tommy on the first day of the NFL Draft. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.